Hello and welcome to Unravelings, a podcast about stories and storytelling. I'm Mark, I have a background in English literature and storytelling. And I'm Charlotte and I have a background in social work and psychology. This week we're going to be talking about Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the 1966 film adaptation with Boris Karloff. We don't talk specifically about the book because we didn't read it, or about the two later adaptations with Jim Carrey and Benedict Cumberbatch because we didn't watch them and didn't want to. Uh, it's possible that this week's one will be a shorter episode. It will probably still be longer than the source material, which is only half an hour. But, uh, yeah. Oh, and ha happy holidays. I don't know, we're doing happy holidays. We can. Happy holidays. This will obviously be have complete spoilers for How the Grinch Stole Christmas. If we have anything else to add in, we'll drop those in here. Hello, it's Mark from the future. We have a couple of small spoiler warnings this week. We discuss Nightmare Before Christmas and A Christmas Carol in referencing back to our previous episodes. We also wanted to give you a heads up that we do discuss Santa Claus in this episode, and small children might not appreciate the conversation. And back to Shannon and Mark of the past. Welcome back! This will be our last episode of 2019, which is scary to say it like that. Stay tuned at the end of the episode and we'll tell you our entire January schedule. And you can also find that on social media as well. Should we get into the summary? Sure. How the Grinch Stole Christmas is a pretty simple story, much like A Christmas Carol that we covered last week. It is about a guy who is somewhat isolated from a nearby town, and he lives on a mountain about a little north of Whoville. So in this case, he's physically kind of isolated from the town rather than just doing that to himself socially. And he really hates Christmas, really doesn't want the people to engage all of the really loud Christmas traditions, and so he decides to go and take all of their Christmas decorations and all the trappings of Christmas and haul it away in an effort to sort of thwart the holiday from happening. But when he does this, the people still come together and sing and, you know, enjoy being together for the holiday, and he realizes that the trappings of the event are not actually the same as the event itself um, and has a you know a moment of growth and clarity where he you know goes and decides to return all of their holiday stuff and actually join in the celebration himself and that's pretty much the entire story yep to prepare for this week's episode we watch the film again which we do every year but we'll probably yeah. also watch it again for enjoyment rather than for note-taking i hadn't seen the film until a few years ago it was always um, your Christmas tradition. Yeah. I, I missed out on it entirely. I think it might be an American thing. I was going to say, is it not so much of a thing in Britain? It's always interesting to tell what's not a British thing and what's not a my strange particular family thing. Yeah, so. that's true. Those aren't necessarily the same things. But I would watch it with my baby brother almost every year. He's nine years younger than I am. So when he was little... Like, we would watch it together on Christmas, I think probably starting when he was around three. Um, so that was, it kind of became a tradition for me to watch it. Yeah. We, we are also taking to listen to the soundtrack when we're decorating. Yes. For, for Christmas slash late Yule. Yes. Uh, when we are putting all the ornaments and everything on our Christmas tree, we have the green vinyl soundtrack playing because we're extra. Because we're that kind of douchebag. Yes. What and did I say? <laughs> Yeah, and then I read up some history of it briefly. Yes. Like ten minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Well prepared. Cool. 
Uh, obviously, we've had a great Christmas morning, and this is going out live. This wasn't in any way recorded a week before Christmas. Before we get into it, we do want to take a moment to acknowledge that Dr. Seuss does have a certain amount of controversy and poor choices behind him in various pieces of his work. Some of his pieces depict minorities in some very stereotypical and offensive ways. In fact, every single one that depicts minorities depicts them in stereotypical and offensive ways. Yes, and he also did some other works like a minstrel show that he performed in blackface. None of this is okay, and we don't mean to condone any of it by discussing this work today. We're talking about it as part of, from a cultural perspective, and as part of the culture that lots of people mm-hmm. grow up in, and it's still very prevalent today, but we didn't want to go ahead without acknowledging that that is a problem. And also noting that he is dead. Like, so nothing resulting from his work is giving him, in particular, any money, so, yeah. But it's okay, because he's dead. Well, no, but, like, we're not, you know, so we're not financially supporting somebody who is racist because he has since died. It's a particular problem because a lot of his works are still read in schools, and there's an aspect as to, uh, like, who you see looking back at the page from you for various children. That's not going to be the right thing to have back. Right, uh, especially with the age groups that his work's targeted toward, it sends an early message to minority children that they're less valuable in society. Yeah, so that, there's a whole lot of stuff tied up in that, um, and I think that we've got a couple of things coming up in the next few months where we're going to talk some more about why we still choose to do these ones, but we're not going to get too bogged into it in the middle of Christmas. Um, we will link to an article in the show notes that does discuss the pros and cons of still talking about his works in schools. Largely, representation matters, and people should get to see themselves represented accurately. Accurately and positively. Yes. Okay, how about you talk Christmas? What do you want to talk about? Well, I think, again, because it's such a simple story, some of the things that I want to talk about are more about the way that the story is told and kind of the narration and the perspective that it's being presented through. Because, again, like, there's not a whole lot to pick apart in terms of the actual narrative, although I'm sure we will you know, talk about that in the course of talking about other structural things. Yeah, it's interesting with both this one and A Christmas Carol, they're both these sort of fables or moral stories. Mm-hmm. So they are just sort of fairly simply saying, this is a thing. Yeah, and much like in A Christmas Carol, the message overall seems to be that Christmas is about coming together and connecting with people and community, rather than in the case of How the Grinch Stole Christmas specifically, about the specific material trappings of Christmas or presents or anything like that. Like there's explicit lines like Christmas doesn't come from a store. You know, Christmas day is in our grasp as long as we have hands to clasp. Those are very explicit and are also very much the same message as a Christmas carol. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was interesting um, is that like Christmas carol, both of these have got Christmas in and are about Christmas but seem to be largely secular. Yeah, I noticed that too. It's Christmas uh, in both ones as a feast day. As a community event. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like there's sort of generic conversations of being blessed. But you know what I noted about that? It's just blessed Christmas tree. Is that, I think it comes up at one other time. Maybe, but like it's descriptions of the things they're doing or like the traditions are blessed or blessed. 
rather than call you know calling attention to any particular spiritual significance or god or yeah. jesus or anything like that i mean i think that most religions have a concept of being blessed i don't think it's tied to christianity well no not specifically but christmas Christmas. is right. like supposedly about the birth of Jesus. But in the same way that we celebrate Christmas as a it's the middle of the winter yeah. and days are going to get longer sort mm -hmm. of thing. Like there are lots of places, people who celebrate Christmas despite the fact that they're atheists or oh, yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, a warm fire, a pretty tree with sparkly lights and a really nice meal is, is a hard thing not to want to celebrate. An excuse to give each other presents and be thoughtful. Yeah, I definitely know a lot of people who aren't Christian, like us, who celebrate Christmas. Um, growing up, like when I was in high school and middle school, one of my closest friends, his mom was Jewish and his dad was atheist, but had been raised in a household that observed Christmas and was Christian. And so they observed Christmas because it's basically just because it's fun, because it's nice, and because it's something that his dad enjoyed, even though his dad was atheist and it ascribed no religious significance to it in any way. There's a reason that Christmas happens in the middle of December, and it's because you need something to look forward to in the middle of December because it's cold and miserable out. Yeah, it's a pick-me-up, yeah. like a cultural pick-me-up. But in addition to like there not being any specific religious things mm -hmm. noted, like, there's also a lot of focus on the tree and, like, the log for the fire mm -hmm. is a big thing in it, which, I don't know, evoked for me at least Yule Log type thing. Yeah, and so. definitely also light, like, the return of light. Uh, I know I <laughs> talked to you about this at the end of the episode, at the end of watching the movie, but when the Who's come together and are singing in the morning of Christmas, they're holding hands in a big ring, and as they're singing, a bright light like just is generated in the center of their circle and like slowly rises up until through like animation it becomes the sun and so it's very much like this illuminist thing where they're sort of chanting or singing the sun back in a very magical like right type of way that i thought was really cool and i'm surprised i never really focused on watching it all of these years. Well, I think that Dr. Seuss always intended the Who's to be seen as sun worshippers. <laughs> yep. 100%. Yep. It really, it's just a coven of witches. Yep. Um, let's go with that. Yep. So, uh, yep, that's, that's the official Unramblings take. Uh, moving on. But yeah, like, even, like, aside from just being uh, devoid of particular christian references it does have this sort of like great magic right depiction yeah it's kind of cool uh let's see what else do you want to talk about the lack of religious stuff and also the grinches being so unhappy about it about the christmas traditions i know it kind of reminded me in some ways of the way that some people who do not agree with celebrating Christmas can be kind of bitter about its prevalence in our society. Yeah. So I've known several different people who are Jehovah's Witness over my life, and some of them like just didn't care what other people were doing. But other people were very offended that like they couldn't escape the pervasiveness of holiday things of like, like when it was someone's birthday, it sort of took over everything. And like, you know, it was kind of hard to get away from it and particularly with like Christmas or like gatherings around the holidays of not being able to escape the, those things and feeling excluded by the presence of that stuff, you know, feeling kind yeah. of slighted by that. And so I wonder if that's something that you see there at all 
of like taking it personally that other people are doing something in a way that you don't necessarily agree with. I mean, I'll say that I certainly, within our world, I see that being mm-hmm. a, a problem. And like the, the whole national holiday, it's a national holiday, but mm-hmm. it, Christianity isn't the national religion. Right. Or at least it's not supposed to be. And yeah, and I mean, like all your favorite podcasts end up doing like mm-hmm. two Christmas episodes. And that's <laughs> pretty annoying. But within the, but within the actual film, yeah, I mean, he certainly seems to resent it, I mm-hmm. think. I mean, it's difficult because he, you get only so much to work with. Mm-hmm. And we're primarily told that he's annoyed because it's noisy and loud and it disturbs him. Mm-hmm. He lives alone on a mountain with his pet dog, mm-hmm. which we don't get told that he's up unhappy the rest of the year to mm-hmm. be alone. Like, he, it might just be his choice. Mm-hmm. But he might just be sort of a hermit. Right. But at the end of the film, he seems happy to be being included. Mm-hmm. So Maybe it's that he prefers to be totally isolated and the noise carries. Yeah. And so then he feels intruded on? I don't know. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, to come at it from a different direction, talk about a different side of it, I think that it's more that the noise, like, all the noise is generated by all of these gifts and toys that they've got. Mm-hmm. Musical um, instruments and things. So the noise becomes fairly directly a uh, metonym? Where, like, the one piece is become symbolic of the whole? Yeah. Which Whichever one? one that is. Wait, let, let me just double check this. Okay. I think it's a metonym. Yeah, it's a metonym. So the noise becomes a sort of metonym for the issue of commercialization of Christmas and the fact that everything is about, or that the Grinch is perceiving Christmas as being all about... Stuff. Stuff. Um, buying things and capitalism. Mm-hmm. Which I think there's a decent amount we can say, say about. I think it's interesting because he's criticizing the commercialization of Christmas, but it's what he is perceiving it's going to be the next day. Well, that whole scene that you get where all the noise is being made and he's going through all those things, mm-hmm. it's not saying, this is happening and I'm listening to it now. He's saying, this is going to happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So he's going off of knowledge of admittedly 53 years, mm-hmm. but it's still his perception of what Christmas is about as mm-hmm. an outsider on a mountain. Right. And what he assumes that they're all thinking and doing around the time. So it's sort of that there's this wall of under- between his understanding. Yeah. You want to add to Well, yeah, I think that definitely makes sense because he's at the top of this mountain, so I guess the only thing that's... He's so high up, I can't remember how many thousands of feet up he is. <laughs> it does say at some point. But he's not going to be able to see the details of the decorations, really. He's not going to be able to see the people doing things together and all of that. Although he knows that they do those things. He talks about, you know, carving the roast beast and how he hates that that particular meal for some reason and, like, talking about all the decorations and things. But he can't really see the details probably that well from up on a mountain, maybe, like, tiny, tiny figures. Um, but he can hear the sound because it's carrying up and maybe because of the weird aco- acoustics, maybe it gets amplified or directed really close to him or something. So he's really just kind of perceiving it as only the parts that he's able to experience. And out of context, they're annoying. It's like um, when you have a really obnoxious neighbor who plays something really loud and you can kind of hear it through your floor or through your ceiling, but not enough that you can actually enjoy it and join in that experience. It's just something that's intruding on what you're trying to do in your own space. Yeah. What I'm saying is the town of Whoville are terrible neighbors. But only once a year. But only once a year. Really, they just need to, like, you know, put up a little note in the foyer of the apartment building or something. We're having a party this one day. Can we 
And you're invited. Like, I think that's yes. an important part of it, too. I wonder about whether or not the Grinch has ever been invited to join in the holiday celebrations. Because it does sound like he says... It, like, the narration says that he's been observing this for 53 years, and so this seems to be a case of him just being mad about it for 53 years and then finally, like, snapping and just taking all their shit. Yeah. But did they ever, like, do they even know he's there? Yeah, and th- that's that's somewhat unclear. But, I mean, I with the way that he's portrayed as, like, assuming he knows what it's about, and it's about all this noise and horribleness, mm-hmm. it, I can imagine that if they did invite him, his response would be, no. <laughs> Go away, get out, get off my lawn. After fifty three years of it irritating him, sure, but if he if they do know he's there, when he first got to the area, he might not have built up the resentment. I kinda think that they don't know he's there. Partially because he is the only person in that area who seems to be green. Mm. Otherwise he looks pretty similar to the who is not totally the same, but very similar. And Cindy Lou Who doesn't know who he is, thinks he's Santa Claus because he's wearing a Santa Claus costume. I feel like if you had, if there was a guy, like, in the neighboring area who was bright green and, like, was the only bright green person around, people would know yeah. who the bright green person was. Yeah. So she, I mean, she has two, so, but she seems more developmentally along than most two-year-olds who are, like, humans, so. Who's actually only lived for five years. Well, yeah, like, tragic. <laughs> like, in terms of, like, I don't know, I think she's probably similar to, like, a four or five-year-old child, and... Maybe maybe the five-year-old kids don't know who the Grinch is, but I don't know. It seems weird. Yeah, I mean, it, it does imply that maybe he... Hmm, it'd be very easy within the story for them to have set him up as a bogeyman mm. and be like, oh, you know, you don't want to go into the hills or the Grinch will get you. At uh, which maybe. point you would see the Grinch and go, oh, no, it's the Grinch. But they, you're right, they do seem to just not, not know about him. But she's not scared of him, yeah. so they clearly haven't done that. Like, it's not like she's afraid of green yeah. people. Because she totally believes that he's Santa Claus. Yeah. So. And to look at it from like a sort of storytelling aspect and things, do you want to talk a bit about the sort of othering that is done for the Grinch? Yeah, definitely. Like, I do kind of... Is othering a generic enough term that people know Yeah, othering? well, like, it, I mean, it might be a story of vilifying the other, of like, this person who doesn't observe our same traditions and doesn't live where we live, you know, comes and takes all of our stuff. And is just nefarious and and also is mean to his dog. And it's just, like, completely vilifying this person who is also the only person who looks different from the people in Whoville. So that that's definitely a dimension that I don't want to overlook. Yeah. I think that the narration is interesting for I mean, you already have this character who lives on the outside of town. And if he is known about, then he's mysterious and off in the mountains. Um, it's not clear whether he's of the same species as the Who's, mm-hmm. but even just like how the narrator talks about how he views things, mm-hmm. like he talks about the Grinch hating like the toys and the roast beast and stuff, and I'm mm-hmm. sure that there's some parents at home watching and going, "Yeah, I mean those those, those toys are pretty damn annoying." Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like I think for a decent number of people, it does portray the Grinch as being cynical and miserly. Well, not miserly. He's not miserly. He's not hoarding. Any- he lives in a cave. No, he, he's like... he's sure, he's cynical and he's crotchety. And the audience is told not to like him mm-hmm. from the narration and the point that point of view. There's also like the song that comes in and mm-hmm. is like says what a terrible person he is, mm-hmm. which. There's a couple of moments in the film where it seems very much as though the Grinch can hear what the narration and the singing are saying, 
And I think there's probably, really? yeah, there's a couple of points where he sort of looks at the camera and like nods and things in relation to the narration. Uh. Which, if there's a, you know, if there's this guy singing a song about how terrible you are on a regular basis, then I can see why you might not be in the best spirits. Uh. Yeah, I suppose so. I don't think I noticed that. I don't think I picked up on that. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely painting him as just generically like a hater. Like, he just hates anything that makes other people happy. But that kind of brings me to like, really one of the questions I have about this is like, who wrote this story? Like, who are we seeing the perspective of? Yeah. Would this be a very different story if more of the Grinch's perspective were featured? Not like the whole um, Wicked, you know, like Alpha, another situation where the green person is vilified. Is there a side of this that we don't see, like, you know, of him being deliberately excluded, perhaps, from events in the town or something like that? I, or him having his own traditions that they shit on. Like, it's, who knows? You yeah. know, we, we only hear this narration who, who explicitly hand waves away an explanation by saying no one quite knows the reason and gives some, like, really silly possible explanations for him yeah. hating Christmas. Like, maybe his shoes were too small, maybe, or too tight, maybe his head was messed up, and or, but really, probably, he just got a too small heart. The same sort of things that you get, like, in, in The Christmas Carol, where, mm -hmm. like, Scrooge is viewed as this terrible person, and the story spends its time going, well, maybe that, like, this is his backstory, and maybe this is why he is like this. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think people in the street are probably much more sort of, uh, oh, yeah, I, I hear his shoes are too tight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that that is a sort of very dismissive of someone else's life and concerns way of going about it. Mm-hmm. Unramblings, where we shit on people's childhood stories. <laughs> I mean, I love this story. Yes. It's a great story. The the music is amazing and hilarious, especially the You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, has just some ingenious insults woven through it. Like, who comes up with this, this stuff? It's amazing. And that's the fun of it, is how unapologetically mocking it is, I guess. But at the end of the day, it is very childish. That's, I think, why it's something that appeals to children. You know, it's not supposed to be picked apart, but we're going to do it anyway. Yeah. I think a lot of what you see of the Grinch is interesting because he, while there's all this stuff to make him sort of othering and showing him as being kind of hateful, mm -hmm. like, there's also a certain amount of stuff done to make him quite endearing and also to humanize him at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's like giving with one hand, taking with away with the other. Like, he's fairly, like, clumsy and unlucky in that mm -hmm. sort of, like, goofball villain sort of way at times. Yeah, like the, uh, like Wile E. Coyote. Yeah, like everyone knows Wile E. Coyote is better than the Roadrunner. You're looking at me like that's that's not what everyone no, thinks. No, Wile E. Coyote <laughs> is the one that you engage with, yeah, because he's the one who has expressions and like in breaks the fourth wall and is trying so hard. But then, you know, he sort of has fun with his keeper. Yeah. Like he's, he's going around and like playing and making the clockwork toys mop, like march into the bag and mm -hmm. he's playing pool with the Christmas baubles. Like those are sort of more fun endearing ways. Like he's doing a bad thing, but he's having fun doing it. So it's kind of... And uh, not even just that he's having fun. Like I, I had noted that you keep seeing him working smarter, not harder. Like uh, he's doing all these clever things that are both fun and cool and efficient. Yeah. And it's like, 
I could painstakingly take all of these things off, or I could line up the perfect shot and have them all roll out the wall, the hole in the wall right into my sack, and it will be so satisfying. You know, it's like all of those trick shot YouTube videos or whatever, where like, yeah, you know, he probably wasted five times as much time trying to get that perfect, but it is pretty satisfying when you get it right. Uh -huh. I do want to say that I think for maybe next year we should get a Christmas tree that is has all the decorations on and but just goes up like a beach umbrella. Oh yeah, that was pretty um, cool. <laughs> that would uh, save me a whole lot of time. When he is confronted with Cindy Lou, mm -hmm. his response is really weird. Yeah. Um, a, a, his excuse is terrible. You don't need to take a whole tree to fix a single light. But I guess that she's too and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. But like, it's not clear whether his response to being caught by her is fear that he's being caught or guilt on some level? I definitely read it as guilt and I think it's part of that humanizing him and like foreshadowing his change of heart at the end. And for him humanizing the who's. Yeah. Like they're not this group of people that make lots of noise, they're this child standing in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, and like he doesn't just send her to bed, mm -hmm. which I'm assuming someone put, like that someone thinks the Santa Claus can be like go back to bed and mm -hmm. they Kid goes back to it. Like, he goes and gets her a drink as well. Mm -hmm. He still steals all of her stuff. And patted her head, like... Yeah. He's very... He's tender in putting her back to bed and, yeah. and everything. Still steals everything from the house. Yeah. But, like, is kind mm -hmm. to her. So so that's sort of a weird, interesting aspect to it. Yeah. I hadn't really, really thought about the aspect of that interaction being that it humanizes the Who's for the Grinch. But I think you're right. I think it definitely does play a role in him coming around later. I think another thing that really shows that sort of like double-handed, he's a terrible person, but he's also more sympathetic in certain ways, is his relationship with his dog, Max. Definitely. Because th that is a put-upon, long-suffering dog right there, mm -hmm. but a loyal one. Mm -hmm. And the Grinch clearly, to in, in some regards, does love that dog mm -hmm. in ways that are humanizing. And then that's also kind of played for comic relief with, like, the whole reindeer thing and, like, mm -hmm. getting stuck under the sleigh and everything. Yeah. Max is definitely used as comic relief, but I also agree that he's part of how the story shows that there is good in the Grinch. Yeah. Because Max clearly loves him. He's treated kind of, he's treated badly during the course of the whole Christmas caper. Like, he whips him a couple of times and mm. tying the horn to his head is clearly painful and uncomfortable for him and of course trying to have him drag such a huge sleigh and he's such a tiny dog which again is for comic effect but also if you actually think about it like that's an abusive thing to do but max i think he keeps expecting the grinch to treat him well and for things to be like a pleasant plan for the two of them to be doing together like jumping up onto the sleigh like they're going for a ride like you know and being happy to see him and stuff and that kind of shows me that in general the Grinch is kind to him and they do have a loving relationship and like I think supports this idea that the Grinch sort of snapped and is being really unreasonable and kind of uncharacteristic in this whole Christmas obsession and is taking it out on his dog in some ways to serve his plan. Yeah. Which isn't cool. It's no, it's not okay. Like Max seems very surprised and confused by the things that the Grinch wants him to do for this plan that are uncomfortable or painful or whatever. And the fact that he's so confused by it tells me that he's not used to being manhandled and abused in this way. Yeah. 
Um, there is just like one really disturbing moment in the scene with the antlers and things that I want to touch on, which I don't know if disturbing is the right word. There's the line that reindeer are scarce, mm-hmm. and then it pans across to where the Grinch has like a trophy mounted set of antlers, and you're just like, oh, oh they're scarce, are they? Oh, I wonder why. <laughs> huh. So I guess that indicates that maybe the Grinch eats reindeer a lot, or primarily. Unclear. Or maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that is kind of our thing, so. Yeah. Uh. yeah, I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, Max is adorable, though. He's the best comic relief in the story, and it's just so sweet and loving and cute. Um, what else do you want to talk about? I just want to say that no one is as productive as the Grinch. Like, okay, in one evening, he makes the Santa Claus costume, gets his dog tricked out to be a reindeer, takes everything from every house, not even just the stuff associated with Christmas, just everything, like the ice, yep. individual poinsettia leaves, everything, in a single night, and then hauls all of that crap up a mountain in time for Christmas morning. Like, you have to think, even if he started pretty early in the day on Christmas Eve, that's a lot to do in 24 hours. Yeah. Especially... Again, as ridiculously thorough as he is. If you think about how long it takes you to take down Christmas decorations every year. Yeah, like, it's just crazy. Especially, even aside from making a costume first. Yeah. Like, that in itself would take hours. Also, that's not how pattern making works at all. But, point being, like, it's crazy. It's just like, wow. Um, He should really just go into business as a moving company. Yeah. Like, he... You know, one day move your whole house. I he probably could do it in a few hours. Move the whole town. By move the, the whole. Time. Yeah, it's crazy. So, uh, another thing I wanted to talk about briefly is something I didn't really notice until we were watching it for the podcast. But there's some interesting visual storytelling that happens in it, particularly toward the end, like the background colors and the Grinch's eye color change as his thoughts are being narrated to Mm -hmm. show like his thoughts and realizations about the nature of Christmas and the nature of the Who's. And I thought that was really interesting because I hadn't, I had noticed that his eyes turned to blue when he realizes, you know, the meaning of Christmas, but I hadn't realized that like progression of backgrounds during that scene. Then his eyes Mm -hmm. go back to red until the point where he, you know, gains the strength of 12 Grinches. And goes yeah. and saves the day. Um, but I thought that was interesting. It's subtle, but it really does make you feel like you're along for that ride. Yeah. I'm trying to think of those, some other things that I noticed. I mean, there's the stuff we talked about with, like, the Who's and their weird sun summoning thing. Yeah, which um, is kind of cool. Which is an interesting bit of, like, symbolic storytelling with, like, the light coming from them, mm-hmm. not from other things sort of thing. Yeah, coming um, from them and being... Like, showing the power of being together. Like, the literal power concentrated in the <laughs> middle of the circle as a bright sun. <laughs> Are you suggesting who, uh, who's as a renewable source of energy in the similar to nuclear fission? Why not? <laughs> it is interesting that, like, they chose to make him green, because in the original book, um, it was only two-tone black and white. So he was portrayed as just white. There wasn't a color in the original book. And the film came out in 1966, which means that the the color TV had just really started being a thing. Um, So it wasn't until then that they had to decide on a color. 
-hmm. and they settled on green and green is what Grinch has been ever since in every version and it's an interesting choice from that point of view of the whole othering thing because the only other group of people slash species we see other who's that you don't that aren't don't really have like traditional skin tone colors but like i think there's some of them that are orange and stuff but they're all sort of within that family whereas there are very few things very few mammals in our world that are green i want to say do we have green mammals well sloths get sort of greenish because of algae or whatever well, the sloth isn't green the algae is it's true that's like saying that you're kind of purple because you're wearing a purple robe not necessarily it didn't grow on me <laughs> You, you sure? Yep. It wasn't that you weren't too certain about it at first, but now it's growing. And like you, you mention as a as a nice side point, you mentioned earlier Wicked, mm -hmm. and you got the Wicked Witch of the West. Yes, I knew that. Which similarly, like, oh, we have color in our TV now. What color is the bad guy? Yeah, they're green because they're weird and different, and they're not us. It's a color that codes fairly easily and quickly. Not us. Mm -hmm. to an audience and it's why aliens are little green men hmm. i would argue i realize i state that as a fact uh, come at me internet <laughs> oh what have you done <laughs> yeah no i do think that the timing with color tv probably does play a part in that as both a way to make good use of that new capability and instantly signal that this person is different and not the same as the people we're supposed to sympathize with, which is the Who's. That kind of brings me to some of the musical storytelling, which is very, like, it's entirely biased in favor of the Who's, which of course the whole story kind of is. You know, you have the this Christmas decorating song, which is very happy and, you know, pleasant, and there it has a good mood to it. And then you have, of course, your mean one, Mr. Grinch, which is very much just bashing the Grinch and in no way showing two sides to this conflict at all. It's just, yeah. it's just, the Who's are these delightful, pleasant people who have these lovely community traditions and the Grinch is awful. Yeah, I mean, they, like, they set up an explanation for why he's upset and why he does what he does. They, they set up his motivation like before the music really gets to anything mm -hmm. um but with such a like isn't this terrible tone to it yeah like isn't he being unreasonable and then by the time you get to you're a mean one mr grinch like there's not you're a mean one that's being pushed by being a outsider and for 53 years um it, it's just you're a terrible person and everything you're doing is terrible so it's mm -hmm. uh doesn't care much about the intentions i'm not saying that the intentions make it okay mm -hmm. but as you say it's not it's very one-sided at that point, mm -hmm. so it's interesting. Another thing that's kind of interesting about the narration and the music is that they seem to sort of be on different timelines. Like, the music seems to always be in the present. Like, You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch doesn't have any capacity in there for the Grinch to be redeemed in any way. It's mm -hmm. unilaterally condemning him and making all of these comparisons to things that are so inherently awful. Like, there, there's no way you're making... Like, there's no way you're making a bad banana with a greasy black peel a nice thing. I guess if you like banana bread, maybe you can. But, okay, that was a no. bad comparison. But there's no way... <laughs> there's no way you're making an arsenic and toadstool... No, what is it? Um, so, there's no way you're so, making... There's no way you're making a sauerkraut and toadstool sandwich with arsenic sauce a pleasant, non-poisonous thing, you know? Sure. But... 
the narrator, as opposed to the music, is telling the whole story kind of zoomed out knowing about the Mm. end. And so he is setting it up as this is what happens. But then the Grinch, just a small heart, grew three sizes that day. You know, so he's he is retelling this story, but the music's inserted from the time it's happening. Yeah. Without knowledge of the end. Which I guess is aided by the fact that you have a different narrator to the singer. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's one voice coming through. Yeah. So I think the music kind of gives you, like, the perspective from when it's happening instead of the zoomed out full picture. Yeah. Hmm. That is an interesting aspect. But it's still very much on the, like, the music is still on the side of the Who's, like, 100%. Yeah. Although, the Who's don't seem to blame, like, they welcome him into their holiday celebration, like, immediately. Even though he literally just stole all of their Christmas stuff and their food, they welcome him with open arms into the celebration. Which I think says more about the way that they interpret Christmas, you know, as a time of coming together and setting whatever aside and having hands to clasp, etc., and, like, that being what, you know, the holiday is about, maybe at a different point in time they wouldn't have been so welcoming. It's hard to say. So I don't think that the You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, is from the perspective of the Who's, unless maybe that's their perspective separate from the holiday spirit. Um, I would probably say not on that. I think it's probably the perspective of more the viewer or the narrator type side Mm -hmm. of things. It is interesting, like... Looking at alongside Nightmare Before Christmas, mm. which we did three weeks ago now? Four weeks? I don't know. A time. Yes. With just that same message of you've come to decide that Christmas is about gifts and decorations and trees. Mm-hmm. And it's not. It's about this other togetherness and being welcoming. Mm-hmm. And like in that Santa's, you've messed this up. Let me fix it. Here, have some snow. That same sort of like, welcome, come enjoy our roast beast. You mm-hmm. can carve it because you're significantly bigger than that's some good bit of leverage for doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, no? Okay. Sure. Um, <laughs> I think that I've said all I wanted to about the visual and musical storytelling. What about you? Uh, yeah, I think I'm good. Did you have a big question for this week? I did. So kind of from the beginning and even when I was just thinking about doing this episode, I've kind of been wondering, is this a story of a conversion? like converting somebody to your traditions or your religion or a story of inclusion or is it a story of vilifying the other is it more is it some of them but not all like because i kind of see elements of all of those in different parts of it Hmm. i think a lot of it depends like you were talking about what point of views the songs are from yeah and i think a lot of it comes from what point of view you're supposed to see the film from and who you're supposed to sympathise with. Mm. Because if you're talking about it from the point of view of the the Who's, then the story is that there's this man out in the mountains who is, like, grumpy and angry and comes and steals all your stuff, but you can still welcome them in. Mm-hmm. Whereas the story from the Grinch's point of view, which... I'm not not sure whether we're supposed to see it from that side or not, because on the one hand, all the story, all the storytelling devices tell us that he's a bad person, but at the same time, he's the one the story follows. Mm-hmm. Whereas from the like the Who's accept him, but at the same time, he sort of accepts them. Mm-hmm. 
And it's about him having an understanding of who they are mm-hmm. and not vilifying them based on what he thinks. Okay. Um, so rather than sitting in the mountains going, those people are doing these things and they're horrible and noisy, mm-hmm. he comes down and goes, oh, that's not what this celebration is about. This celebration is about coming together and that's something I can get behind. Mm-hmm. And also not something I can take away. Yeah. You know, not something I can prevent or necessarily even want to prevent. Yeah. So even though it does kind of have tra- have some of these themes of this person doesn't participate in these rituals, then comes around and does participate in these rituals, which can feel sort of conversion-y, but also has this part of, you know, that someone wrongs this community, but then realizes that was a shitty thing to do and tries to make it right and is welcomed and forgiven. It ultimately kind of comes down to this was all a whole mis- a huge misunderstanding in the first place. You did some shitty stuff with your misapprehension, even though it would also have been shitty even if Christmas was just about streamers and presents and noise making and stuff. It's still a shitty thing to go and steal everyone's stuff, but that it was based on a fundamental misunderstanding and maybe feeling of being excluded. Like, I don't know that the Grinch would have done that stuff if he felt like he would have been included if he'd wanted to be because he does so readily become included and join into the festivities so there's a part of me that could see a reading of this where yes it is about how people who aren't part of this should be part of this like a simulation story right but i think that the thing that makes me err away from that is that the who's don't have any agency in the film mm. We see very little of them in any way acting on something, like they're celebrating Mm -hmm. as a group, Mm -hmm. and Cindy Lou is seen as an individual, Mm -hmm. but otherwise there's not much. So it's not as though they're sending out missionaries to the Grinch's hilltop to be like Mount Crumpet, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yes. To be like, hey, have you thought about celebrating Christmas? Yeah. Regardless of whether that means Jesus' birth or whether it means we're going to get a tree and some great food and some loud shit. Mm-hmm. Want to come play? And it's... then we're all going to sing in a circle and create a giant magic ball of light. It'd be really cool. <laughs> is this a cult? It might be a cult. All the agency is with the Grinch. Mm-hmm. Like, everything he does is his choice. He sees something going on, he chooses to go and steal the stuff, and then he feels bad about it mm-hmm. because he realizes that he's misunderstood and his motivations were corrupt. Mm-hmm. And then he chooses to go and join. Mm-hmm. Like, there was nothing stopping him from going, oh, I've misunderstood this. Here, have your stuff back. I'm going back to my hilltop. That's true. I, I do like that you point out he felt bad about it. Like, you know, if he had interpreted it before as just this really obnoxious thing where they're just all super loud and really inconsiderate of how it affects him up on Mount Crimpet, and it's sort of like getting revenge on your crappy neighbors. It's you go and put a potato in their tailpipe or something, and then you feel bad about it. Please do not put potatoes in your neighbor's tailpipes. We are not legally liable. <laughs> no, that's a bad idea, and you shouldn't do it. But, you know what I mean? Like, you could see this as just him not even... Because he doesn't see it as the significant community event that it is. He just sees it as this obnoxious thing that's irritating that he wants to divert thwart something he wants to stop from happening yeah as far as like what happens within the film Mm -hmm. i think that's a fairly safe reading just that it's a misunderstanding and he's kind of a jerk based on the misunderstanding and he has the agency what dr seuss may or may not be trying to say about society 
-hmm. could be more problematic. Very much so, especially because we know that, you know, all of his, as we, we mentioned at the top of this episode, all of his depictions of minorities were really racist, and that could indicate some underlying, not necessarily intentional ideas of, like, pro-assimilation ideas. Yeah, I mean, I, based off of a fairly brief reading, it sounds like a lot of his, like, racial minority problems were ignorance-based. And stereotypes, um, promoting which, of stereotypes. Right, but I could see this being more problematic if the message is, if you're Jewish and you're tired of walking into every store and seeing Christmas decorations everywhere and nativity scenes on every corner, you should just suck it up. Mm -hmm. um, that's not a message that I would condone. And I think, read, if you think, if you sit down and watch the film, you can't see that. Mm -hmm. But if you are looking at it within our culture, which I think you have to at some point, like, there's a possibility for that as a problematic reading. Mm -hmm. Or a problematic message. Yeah. Do you have anything more to say on that? I don't think so. I think that you could definitely see conversion or assimilation themes and like marginalization themes, but I think what it is trying to be is a story of inclusion. Whether or not it 100% succeeds in that is a different thing, yeah. but I think that's what it's going for, is for it to be an inclusive reading. If like the Grinch had his own like little celebration thing for that time of the year, and that became a part of the Who's as well, mm -hmm. and it was an inclusive thing of everyone's celebrations, that would be a more clear reading, if perhaps heavy-handed. Yeah. Um, he didn't yeah. seem to do anything for Christmas. So. I mean, as far as we know, he doesn't do anything at all. But, mm -hmm. That's uh, true. We don't really get a whole lot of you know his day-to-day -day life, or you know. We know he has a dog, a sleigh, a curtain, and a lot of empty bags. Yeah, and a lamp, I think, and a case full of reindeer heads, horns, something. A little trophy thing of, like, a little trophy mount of reindeer horns. Yep. Not not a not an entire case of heads. <laughs> that would be a very... <laughs> I said it was a lightly disturbing fact, not just straight-up <laughs> horror. Okay. <laughs> wow. So does that answer our big question? I think so. Okay, I think that there's a bigger question here. That is, where is Santa? Hmm. Because the Grinch is very clearly drawn as a sort of anti-Santa. Yeah. We know Santa exists in this world because Cindy Lou thinks that he's Santa when he's dressed up in a Santa outfit. And if it was the the parents are putting out presents and it's not Santa coming by, mm -hmm. then the parents they, would be around. They would have discovered the Grinch stealing all the stuff quite a lot earlier because the stockings don't already have things in them when he's stealing them. They yeah. have yet to be filled. So presumably we're waiting for Santa to come by and drop stuff off. Hmm. I don't know. Like, the idea of Santa, yeah, is definitely in this world because, as you say, Cindy Lou Who mistakes the Grinch for Santa. And so that was my first thought, too, is that it m must be a world where there is not, like, a literal Santa. There is, you know, the parents going and putting presents under the tree and filling the stockings, etc. I hope we don't have any really young listeners. But, we'll put it in the spoiler warnings. <laughs> yes. But if we have young listeners, they'd hear it in the spoiler warnings. We, we can be obscure about it. Okay. So, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So, that's a good point that maybe the parents would know. But also, I think the point is that the community doesn't get too wrapped up in the stuff. And they see the spirit of Christmas as being its own thing. So, maybe we're not... Maybe off camera, the parents are getting up and trying to sneakily do the Christmas thing and being like, oh, crap, what happened to all of our stuff? 
and then just being like, well, it's not really what Christmas is about, and getting some sleep, and then getting up in the morning for the big town scene. I mean, the, the, and the giant orb summoning. Yes. But, like, the risk of him being found while removing all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Also, like, they're very heavy sleepers, because he's, Mm -hmm. like, shoving trees up chimneys and all this stuff. Yeah. It's a lot of noise. Uh, You know what? Maybe they actually are, like, hibernating, and that's why he has time to do this. Probably not. You said really heavy sleepers. And also, it must take a long time to do all that shit. Stop giving me that look. Hot take. The story's actually three months long. <laughs> it's just very well cut together. Uh, the Grinch doesn't have a great idea of what constitutes a night. Or maybe they're all out partying in the next town over or something, and they've just left Cindy Lou, who is the only Lou left alone in town. Well, isn't she tucked into bed with, like, other kids? Yes. yes yeah, yes. Well, I think she is. So. so all the kids are the only ones left in town. Oh, no. But no, Santa is weirdly absent. And yeah, that's it's, true. So I don't know how that was going to play out. Or maybe, like, they just trust that they'll wake up before their kids in the morning, which... Maybe. Seems like a rash assumption. My understanding <laughs> of children is that they wake up at Christmas at about 3 a.m. regardless. <laughs> Um, I say not having children, but having been a child. Yes. Maybe. Maybe they're all super optimistic or set really early alarms to get up for Christmas morning. They are optimistic and resilient people, so maybe. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Santa just seems to not be there at all. Maybe the Who's were bad this year. Oh, no. (laughs) Maybe there was a lot of sacrificing going into making that off. Oh, no. Anyway. So are we ready for fun facts? I think so. You have some, right? Because I don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> Didn't know I was carrying this part of the podcast. Yeah, sorry. So several of mine are Dr. Seuss related to himself. Okay, so first off, uh, Dr. Seuss apparently drove a car with a license plate that read Grinch, which I thought was fun. The character actually first appeared in a previous story called The Hoobub and the Grinch which was from 1955, a couple of years before the original How the Grinch Stole Christmas book came out. Hmm. And talking about, like, the similarity between Dr. Seuss, or Ted, and his characters, Seuss's stepdaughter said, I always thought the cat was Ted on his good days and the Grinch was Ted on his bad days. Interesting. Which is particularly interesting because when talking about why he wrote the poem... He said, I was brushing my teeth on the morning of the 26th of last December when I noticed a very Grinchish countenance in the mirror. It was Seuss. So I wrote about my sour friend, the Grinch, to see if I could rediscover something about Christmas that obviously I'd lost. So he sort of cast himself as the Grinch, which is evidenced in the fact that the Grinch has suffered for 53 years, ah. and Dr. Seuss was 53 years old when he wrote it. Oh, interesting. And then the last thing I have is that there are actually two sequels to How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which are so popular that you've not heard of them. <laughs> the One of them is Halloween is Grinch Night, in which the Grinch comes down into Whoville to scare the Who's, presumably in a fun way that doesn't entirely reverse everything we just talked about, but I'm just going to not worry about that. And also another one called either Grinch Grinches, the Cat in the Hat, or the cat in the hat gets Grinched. Hmm. It, does that mean that the Grinch goes and steals all the cat in the hat stuff? And then gives it back and then plays with him? Presumably. Okay. I'm, wait, I, I can find out. It's also known as the Grinch versus the cat in the hat. 
Uh, All the names. I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but it seems like it probably does a decent amount of work at undoing everything we've talked about, and maybe also has some weird stuff in it. Moving on! Sorry, what? Uh, apparently, the Ken the Hat accidentally insults like uh, insults the Grinch by calling him Mr. Greenface, which, out of context, doesn't sound great. No. But also, it was in the 80s, and I don't think Doctor Who's worked on it, so... Hmm. Okay, so feedback, follow-up, and late thoughts from previous episodes. Yes, we finally have some feedback and late thoughts stuff yeah, from... We have, we have feedback? From, well, Andrew. So we forgot to mention when we were doing the Christmas Carol episode that there is a song that was cut from the theatrical release and isn't included on Disney Plus called When Love Is Gone. You can find it online and in some releases of the film it's still included. It's um, a song that explains Scrooge's state of being by giving a more in-depth look at the breakup between him and Belle. It's reprised at the end of the film and the meal at the Cratchit's house with uh, The Love We Found, which signals an end to the loneliness period that Scrooge has been in and has made him so miserly in the film version of the story. Do we think that that musical number changes anything about our final analysis of whether Scrooge becomes a better person by the end or, you know, anything about his motivations before that? I don't think it does for me because he's shown to be a bad, like, he's shown to be miserly and dislike Christmas before that song and before Mm -hmm. that breakup. So I don't quite buy it in their narrative as being the reason that he is who he is. Right. It's a symptom, not the cause. Yeah. And also, like, a girl dumping you shouldn't make you a terrible person for the rest of your life. Yeah. You should be able to brush that off. I mean, I guess that it is the story of... Well, no, it's not the story of him brushing that off because he was bad before that, but... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would hesitate to say you should just brush that off, but (laughs) point being, like, she breaks up with him because he's gotten obsessed with wealth and keeps putting off their marriage because he is never satisfied with the amount of money he has and the position he has in his company. And so, you know, it's a fundamental issue of priorities that are still the problem he has at the beginning of the story. So I agree with you that it, like, this was sort of a breaking point of him on that path, but he was already on that path. Yeah. You can say the the love we found is an end to his miserliness. And you can say, well, why was he miserly? Well, because he was lonely. And why was he lonely? Because Belle broke up with him. Well, why did Belle break up with him? Because he was miserly. Yeah. Um, It's not actually Belle's fault. It's not... He didn't become the person he was because she broke up with him. She broke up with him because of the person he was becoming. Yeah. So... I think it's an interesting fact that the song was in- originally included and is cut from a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I think it is an interesting musical note for them to use the love we found as a reprisal at the end mm-hmm. to close things off. I don't think it quite fixes the narrative enough for me to feel that Scrooge really becomes that much better throughout the film, or more so than we already said he did in the last episode. Yeah. I do think it was probably a um, good opportunity to humanize him more and to show that he had feelings and that it was painful for him to go through that breakup and to be confronted with those problems in his perspective and his priorities and that he responded to that by doubling down on the problems that she had with him rather than taking that as a turning point to maybe try to fight to win her back, maybe try to reconnect with his 
you know, love of people and his community and, you know, other values in life, but he didn't. She left, he didn't try to contradict her in any way in terms of her assessment of his character and his priorities and just doubled down on it. Yeah. Yes. And the other thing that that scene does, um, having that scene in the film does means that he doesn't like just spontaneously look like he's been crying for half an hour. That's true. (laughs) Yeah, that was a weird cut because we did note when we were watching it that suddenly he was on this weird bridge that was like very small and angled. And apparently during that scene, they walk up to that bridge and like she sort of fades away and he's still standing there. And it makes sense when you have the whole scene. Yeah, but he um, has been looking on and is clearly happy, and then it cuts back to him and it looks like he's been crying. And in the song, he does cry, but he doesn't if you cut the song out, so it's just kind of weird. Anyway, any other late thoughts or anything? Oh, and I should say thank you for Andrew Powell to pointing out that that song existed again after we'd recorded the episode and forgotten to mention it. Um, I'm sorry that we don't agree with your analysis of it. As promised, we're ready to announce our lineup for January. We're going to be doing some stuff that's a little bit different, as I know that we got bogged down a little bit in Christmas-themed things between Nightmare Before Christmas, Christmas Carol, and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. So on January 1st, we're going to be doing David Bowie's album The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. On January 8th, we're going to talk about the Veronica Mars TV series. On January 15th, we're going to talk about Raymond Chandler's novel, The Big Sleep. On the 22nd, we're going to talk about season one of Russian Doll. And on the 28th, we're going to talk about Neil Stevenson's novel, Seven Eves. So if you have not yet consumed those stories, try and do it. And if you're thinking about consuming Seven Eves, start now. It's a big book. Very, very good book. Yes. Excellent book. But also meaty. Justifiably meaty. Okay. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Unramblings, on Twitter at UnramblingsPod. You can email us with feedback, questions, complaints, thoughts, words at unramblingspodcast at gmail.com. And you can continue the discussion on social media with the hashtag Unramblings, and we will do our best to respond to any comments made on it. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends. Thank you for listening to Unramblings. We hope that you'll join in next week. And happy holidays! Yes, happy holidays. He's cynical and, uh, sort of... Crotchety? No, no, I said cynical, not Siri. I didn't get that. (sighs) He's cynical? Just the once apparently. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Crutchety? Yeah. That's a weird, interesting thing. Um, a weird what? Can you say that again? Because it was the chime that also you didn't enunciate. So that's sort of a weird, interesting aspect to it.